0: So we're going to talk about the beauty that's found beyond our baptism. and So I want to share with you all, beginning with um, actually from the scripture lesson, from Matthew's version of Jesus' baptism. I love this part of the story, and um, it's so powerful. It comes from the third chapter, beginning with the 13th verse. So here are these words this morning um, from the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus came from Galilee uh, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And then when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened up to him and he saw the Holy, saw the spirit of God descending upon him like a dove um, upon him. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son the beloved with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, amen. I love that, I love that part of the story today. So we have a chance to talk a little bit about our holy baptism. I love, because you know, I started thinking about reflecting upon uh, this and um, thinking about, you know, I wanna do something, I wanna focus on holy communion and remembering that. And I also think about that one of the part of our key parts when it comes to our baptism liturgy is re, um, remember our baptism and be thankful. Can you say it with me? Remember our baptism and be thankful. That's what we're focusing on today. So here's what, I, I wanna begin with a quote. I found this this last week. It's from John Mark Hicks. I'd never heard this quote. Um, you know, when I, when I put together, um, do our weekly word, I usually, I, I give the sermon title and the text, and then I always go look for a quote, and I found this quote this week, and I, I thought it was actually very powerful. This is what he said. Baptism is like a precious jewel set apart by itself. It's, it is nice and appealing, but has nothing within it to compel, but place baptism against the backdrop of our sin and turn on the light of the cross and the jewel explodes with significance. Man, that's good. So then I started to think about, I found this other little story this week and it's called the parable um, of the pebble. And um, I found in one of my baptismal books and I actually went from when I had a seminary. Uh, one night, a long ago, there were three riders who were traveling across the desert and as they crossed the, the dry bed of river, out of the darkness, a voice called out and said, stop, and they obeyed. The voice told them to dismount, to pick up some pebbles and to put them in their pockets and to remount. The voice then said, you have done as I commanded. Tomorrow at sun-up, you will be both glad and sorry. Mystified, the riders rode on, and when the sun rose, they reached into pockets, found that a miracle had happened. The pebbles had been transformed into diamonds. And they remember the warning: They were both glad and sorry, glad that they had taken some, and sorry that they had not taken more. My wife likes diamonds. <laughs> she loves diamonds. You know, I looked up this last week and I did you know, I always thought that, um, that diamonds were created um, by coal. And you know what? I looked up this and they, that's, that's an old wives' tale. That's a make believe thing. So, whatever you learned in, sc- uh, in, in school, that ain't true, right? And, and so I thought that was interesting because they, they said that um, actually um, it has a formation of heat and pressure um, down about 90 to 125 miles underneath the surface, all this kind of these different things have to happen. I didn't realize this when it came to diamonds, is that um, diamonds can begin to actually formate over like actually a week or a month or so, as quickly as that. And then sometimes it literally takes millions of years to get a diamond. And I thought to myself this last week, you know, we all are, aren't we all kind of like diamonds in the rough? God's just kind of shaping us into something beautiful over time. So today we remember our baptism and God is still in the sanctifying process of growing us into Christians he wants us to be. Diamonds and, um, and the rough. Um, you know what's interesting, um, on the way out today, um, I'm going to hope that you will actually pick up a, a little rock, and I'll remind this at the very end, and um, it's just to remind us of our baptism, and, and you know what's interesting, and all these stones that you have, they're in a little bowl, you're more than welcome to pick that up, and um, what's very interesting about these little stones that I put out there, um, they're all kind of smooth, and it reminds us that, you know, sometimes the, the rough edges of our lives need to be well worn over, smoothed over. My my mother, she today, my mother used to um, correct me a lot when it came to my English. Um, I, as, that's, as a kid, I always loved that when your mother corrects you. And so um, she would correct me. And, and then finally one day, I kind of got exasperated because she kept correcting me about the way I'd said things so that it wasn't grammatically correct. She was a school teacher. And then she finally says, she says, Harold Ray, I'm not trying to be criticizing. I'm not trying to be critical of you. I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm trying to polish you. I know we all need to be polished, right? Baptism. You know what? I found out this week, and I thought this was very interesting. I wanted to actually not only kind of like preach on baptism, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but I also wanted to teach on baptism, and so I didn't realize this, that, you know, there is a season of baptism, actually. It's actually a day that's set aside, and most of us don't realize this, but um, it actually comes after, you know, we have Advent, and then there's like, there's 12 days after Advent, and when, when you call this time, period, Epiphany, and the baptism, of the Lord's Sunday, actually comes in that time time frame. And I didn't realize this. Not only is it connected with the epiphany, but the epiphany is connected to the magi, the coming of the magi. And also the original when we think about the feast of baptism actually goes back to the wedding at Cana Galilee. I didn't realize that. It's all connected. And so then I started thinking about that and I I went and did a little bit more detective work and I said, okay, what does the word baptism mean? And actually, I think we have a slide about the word baptism. So then the Greek, it means bapto. Bapto, which is a a derivative of the word to dip or to make wet, not to specify to total immersion or submersion or underwater, but it has something to do with, once again, to dip, the the Greek word. Then I looked, and by the way, the early Christians, when they were uh, like candidates to be a Christian, Um, they actually would celebrate, and I believe that normally when they would have this big celebration, and usually around Pentecost, and they would baptize the the, uh, early converts, and I didn't realize this, but the word of early uh, conversion was actually someone who was gonna be led into be a Christian was the word catechumen, which means sound in the ear, and the catechumens were hearers because the church invited them to hear the word of God within the community and learn the Christian way. By the way, the first ref- references of the early Christians were called followers of the way. And so a catech, and they also, there was also a catechumist, is the word that we find someone who is willing to guide or mentor or um, to guide someone in the Christian faith, to disciple them. And then the last part is a catechumen is related to the word echo. I thought that's an interesting word, echo. The risen Lord has echoed in both their thoughts and their th- words and their deeds, catechumen. And then I thought, okay, so let me do a little bit more detective work. And I said, okay, what is the purpose of baptism? And so I found this this week, and this is part of our Christian tradition and part of who we are as Methodists. Baptism is a rite of admission into the covenant community, taking the place of the circumcision by the children of Israel. And it also means baptism is a rite demonstrating the washing away of the guilt of original sin. And baptism is the rite by which God's spirit begins a new life for a person, adopting him or her into the family of God. And then I found this. I found a lot this week, didn't I? And then I found out the word about the word ordinance. So when you think about Methodist Believe, baptism is a gift from God. And we have two words to describe. And I think we have this part of the slide. Can you put that word up when it comes to ordinance and Methodist Believe? So the word ordinance means ordered. In um, Christ's teaching example. We also call it a sacrament. So we have two sacraments. We remember in the Holy Sacrament of Holy uh, Holy Eucharist and we have the Holy Sacrament of Holy Baptism. The word Latin in sacrament means sacred to believe that God's grace is bestowed and the partake in this act. So we have two sacred acts in the United Methodist Church. We have the Holy Holy, uh, Eucharist and we have Holy Baptism. And I thought this was very interesting. And once again, we reminded who we are. And so we just did our baptismal vows just a minute ago. I share with you all that the brand new members have taken their vows and we reminded our baptism. I mean, reminded of our membership vows, but here are these words in our baptismal vows. So whenever I've done baptisms up here before with people, um, what's beautiful about that, they take, make their profession of faith, or the parents take, make their profession of faith to love and nurture this child in the Christian church. But then we're reminded that we are reminded of our Christian vows and our membership and our, 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 our baptism vows. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Yes, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil and justice and oppression wherever forms they may present themselves? Yes, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your savior? Yes, I do. Put your whole trust in his grace? Yes, I do. And promise to serve him as the Lord and union with Christ, church, which Christ is open to all people, all ages, nations, and races? Yes, I do. Those are our baptismal vows. And so I was thinking about this this last week, and so, you know, do we remember, do we remember our baptism? Do we wake up every morning and think, you know what, Lord, I want to thank you for another day, but, you know, Lord, thank you so much for my baptism. Thank you, Lord, for that you've allowed me to be a part of this Christian faith. No one know I was preaching on this morning. That's exactly what I did. I said, Lord, thank you so much for giving me a day, but Lord, thank you so much for my baptism. So I was thinking about this last week. And so what I think was really powerful, there's actually like four or five key things when it comes to our baptisms. The first word is about remembering our recommitment or reminding us once again that we reaffirm our faith in Jesus Christ. This is what, when we think about our our, our love for Jesus and we think about baptism, it's about recommitting. It's about reaffirming our vows over and over again. The second word I thought about when it comes to about remembering is remember that we are healed of our brokenness. And when I think about being broken, listen, um, uh, I, you know, everybody in this room has been broken in some form of fashion. I, I know that some of you all have had cancer. Some of you have cancer right now. I, you know, I got run over a truck one day. I, I know what it feels like to be broken physically. Um, but I also know when there's a sense of brokenness in our lives, when we're reminded that we are broken people, then we have fallen short, and that we sin against God. There's two ways to think about brokenness. You know, this last week, Speaking of brokenness, I went to go see my dermatologist. Um, you know, um, I, I love going no doom to see my dermatologist. It's one of my favorite things to do. And, um, <laughs> and so I went to see Dr. Cash. Matter of fact, he'll be here next service. And, and so this is the great thing. So I go and see David on uh, Friday. And he says, um, Pastor Harold, because he does a pre-exam, and he kind of fills around my head. He says, did you take your Tylenol before you came? And I said, this is not a good sign, Right. <laughs> And he has that little canister in his hand. And the next thing he says, so the first one was a question. The second was a statement. Pastor Hill, I want you to know, I really do love you. <laughs> so, you know, when the idea, listen, when it comes to our holy baptism, there's this theme that we have now only to remember and reaffirm our commitment, we also remember we're broken people. The third thing is that, we, once again, we remember that we're always beloved, that we're all loved by God. I mean, we, we operate on this conviction that we are deeply, and unconditionally loved by God and that once again, we're reminded that we live as Baptist, baptized Christians, we live a life that's different. We're set apart. When we think about baptism, it is a sacrament. It's a sacred experience that we have. And once again, because we live into that each and every day, once again, we are to be different from the world. There is the world and the worldly. Paul cautions us about that. And because we are baptized Christians, we should live our life differently. People should know that we are different because of the love that we have for him. I love what Henry Nouwen once said. He says, we declare that we no longer want to remain children of the darkness, but we want to become children of light, God's children. The fourth thing is I think about, remember that we are people of a mission. And I just share with you all those beautiful children in Africa. It reminds us it's not just about us. It's about others. It's about serving Jesus Christ. We have a heart for loving people. It's not about being inwardly focused. It's about being outwardly focused. And the fifth thing is that remember that once again, whenever we come to holy baptism, and once again, we should be reminded that this is a celebration. And someday when we all have a chance to be be in heaven, there's gonna be a great celebration in heaven when we arrive. Can I amen on that? So we have all these kind of key things. I just kind of did some teaching on that, but I just thought there were some really important things, these little nuggets when it comes to our baptism, reminded of how much we love, how much we're supposed to serve, and how we're part of the mission, how we're all part of a community together, and how there's a great celebration as we were welcomed into the fold of God's kingdom okay so um one of my favorite things to do you know i uh, had a holy land meeting this last week and um i love going to the holy land i've got a hundred i think i got 105 people going with me which is wonderful and um and so one of the favorite things to do is actually go down to the jordan river water as a matter of fact i got a picture of us going down and this is actually taken last march and so we have our baptismal gowns which we are cate- it's almost like we're catechumens like go back to thousands of years ago we're actually going down to the jordan water and and experience this and so we have a wonderful and there's a picture of uh, me and pastor Millen and my daughter olivia and and some people are actually being baptized the first time and then some of them are rededicating reminding themselves of their baptism i think that's great and, and so I, I love going down to the waters of the jordan and there's something ba- powerful about that I, I just can't describe it i do know this when you go to the baptismal waters the river jordan march here's it is it's cold I'll tell you that straight up, right? And so for me and Don Piper, I'm the, for the 105 people who want to be baptized, or rededicated in the river waters, you all are going to be in for about 45 seconds. Don Piper and I are going to be in there about 45 minutes. Okay, so I just want you to know that. Um, and so the other thing is that was great, a true story can you put that other little picture of me and Marilyn and Olivia? So true story. So we we did uh, we had to experience that. We, we had a chance to baptize and rededicate all these people. And then so at the very end of that, I'm the last one and Marilyn and I are getting out. This happened two or three years ago. I said, Marilyn, would you just would you just rededicate me right now? And she says, sure, Pastor, I'd love to do that. She was out there by herself. So literally, she puts me under and then she pulls me back up and then she loses her footing and then I lose my footing and we end up in the middle of the River Jordan we're floating down the river. That is a true story. I have told you that before, but it's one of my favorite experiences of Holy Baptism with Pastor Marilyn. Totally messed the whole thing up, but that's okay. It's all right. We got it. We got it together. I just love that. But I really love going down to the River Jordan. And so, you know, I think about this last week. Um, I, I love the idea that about water. I mean, the idea of, of water, we are drawn to the water. Mark Schmidt just talked about, saying about coming down to the river water. I don't realize this, but there's um, on, the, on the way home for me, one of the ponds, in the villages, um, matter of fact, about four or five years ago, this particular pond, I noticed, I went by there one morning and it was full of water and I went home that later on night, it was completely empty. And I'm thinking, whoa, what happened here? I mean, bone dry. I think, well, there was a seacoal in it. And it was like the hand of God had pulled up the plug and just, ah, wow. Now, I know that the people weren't real jazzed up who live around that lake, what happened, right? So they fixed it. Well, it's interesting, this last week, they started pumping the water. Evidently, they had to fix some pipes on it or something. And so once again, it was like the same thing happens, like deja vu all over it. Matter of fact, I took a picture of it. Here's a picture of of the bone dry lake. I mean, the water is literally almost complete. And let me tell you something. Um, the little white pelicans out there really loved that because it was like fishing in a barrel. I want you to know that, right? <laughs> and so my reason why I share with you that is because, you know what, I'm sure the people around that pond are thinking, where's my water? When's my water coming back? Well, I want to, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, I pay for waterfront property. I want to make sure I get my water back, right? So there's a sense that we're connected and we love, to be drawn to the water. I love the water. Hence the reason why, you know, I spend a lot of time outside. Hence the reason why I go see Dr. Casper about every other month, right? I love the water, I'm drawn to the water. And chances are, you probably love the water too, right? And here's an interesting thing. Jesus loved the water too. I mean, think about the last three years of his life, some of the greatest things that Jesus did in his ministry around the water. Matter of fact, I got a picture, I took this picture a couple of years ago, and this is the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. No wonder I just, Jesus was drawn to the water. And so what I think about, when I think what's so powerful about Jesus and his experience when he's drawn, think about what happened around the Sea of Galilee. He did some of his greatest teaching, did a sermon on the Mount. He did some of his greatest healing, healed the, of, uh, healed the demonic across the lake. He, um, he walked on the water. He prayed around the water. Jesus was drawn to the water. Something about the water And so, you know, I I was thinking about this last week. Um, Last last, uh, Friday night, you know, Donna, I always go on a date. We always go somewhere out to dinner and it's kind of this whatever. And she say, where do you want to go? Or I'll say, where do you want to go? And so this last week I was craving, I'm I'm a really big spender on Friday night. I went to Chick-fil-A. I love (laughs) Chick-fil-A. So we went to Chick-fil-A and when I, you know, I said, okay, Donald, you know, um, let me, before we have dinner, um, let me go wash up. And so I went to the restroom and above the restroom, this is what it says. This is true at Kathy's. And you all probably have read this before. Have you ever gone to Chick-fil-A? It's kind of mantra. He says, food is essential to life. Therefore make it good. And so you know, what's interesting is that I, as I was doing my sermon preparation this week, I started thinking, you know, water is essential to life and it is good. I didn't realize this, but I did my detective work. Do you realize that 60% of you is made up of water? 60%. Matter of fact, I I, I got this little slide. Can you put that slide up? And I thought this is, your brain is 75% water, your blood is 83% water, your heart's 79% water, your bones are 22% water, and your muscles are 75% water, your liver is 85% water, and your kidneys are 83% water. 60% of of us, ourselves, are made up of water. We're drawn to the water. We need water. Water is essential. So I was thinking this last week. You know, I did a, um, a, a men's group a couple of years ago, and I um, I did a devotion, and, and I talked about what's passionate. What are we passionate about? The word passionate, showing or caused by a strong feeling or a strong conviction or belief. Impassioned, ardent. These are all synonyms. Excited, animated, adrenalized, spirited, energetic, fervid, frenzied, fiery. All these great words about what we're passionate about. True story, um, once upon a time about, I don't know, maybe it was like 15 years ago, a guy calls me up and um, he says to me, he says, hey, um, uh, can I talk to the priest? And I said, well, I'm not the priest, but I'm the preacher. And he, and he says, I-, I need someone to uh, christen my kid. And I say, okay, and so I, I said, so you want me to christen your kid? I said, have you ever been to our church before? And he says, no, I, I haven't. I just need someone to christen my kid. And I said, "So, how did you kind of end up calling me?" And then he says, "Basically, well, I went through the yellow pages, and so, um, and so you know, uh, and so this is the way that you're supposed to find your, someone to christen your kid. You go through the yellow pages, right? This is how it all supposed to work in his mind. So he, and so I, I dove in a little bit deeper. I said, "So, okay, so you want me to christen your kid?" Um, and I said, "I tell you what, here's how it kind of works." I said, you know what, Um, if you really want me to christen or baptize your child, I said, why don't you come and try us out? Why don't you come and check out our church? Why don't you come and experience what we're all about as Christians here at at my church at Faith and I Methodist, and then, you know, then we'll talk about baptism. Click. (laughs) Click. Yeah. Yeah. See, see, and I, I gave you that illustration. You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to water down baptism. it meant nothing. Let me just sprinkle a little holy water on, on, the, on the kid, and then we take some pictures, and then we move on with life. And I tried to explain him, it just doesn't work that way. You can't water down your baptism. It's the reason why when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to say, Lord, thank you so much. I remember my baptism. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for another day, but Lord, I remember my baptism. You know, I, I, I was last year, I went to the Holy Land and one of my favorite, not only my favorite places to go is the river, but um, one of my other favorite places to go is um, uh, where Jesus, it's Jacob's well, where Jesus had that conversation with the one with the well. And so Jesus is down there, and the woman's actually, you know, we can tell because she's in the heat of the day. She's kind of ostracized. She goes when all the other women wouldn't be there. And so that tells you a little bit about the woman. She's been married five times. And, and so Jesus has this conversation with her. And, and then so Jesus says to her, hey, um, woman, give me some, some of your water. And she says, why do you, a Jew, ask me for a Samaritan for water? And they have this conversation. then Jesus says, I can give you water that you never have to thirst again. The woman says, give me some of that water. There's something about water, right? So I'm down there and I I asked the priest in the bottom of um, underneath the church is where the Jacob's well. And I share with you all, he takes some holy water. I said, Father, would you just bless me today? And he, take, he literally takes some of that holy water out of the Jacob's well, and he just throws it on me. I think, okay, like this, and this is true. And so I, th- I said, thank you, Father. Thank you for you know, that blessing. And he has some kind of simple little blessing, and he does it. I mean, it was like, I don't know, like it was, a, it was a, kind of almost like the tourist blessing, right? I got the six-second blessing. And so then... Um, and so then we go back up, and so then Mike, my guide, turns to him and says, Father, and he knows him, and he says, listen, would you, would you give my friend a, a blessing? He talks to me. He says, you know, he was just in a car accident, and, and he says, he needs, he needs a blessing. And the, and the father says, I just blessed him, Mike. And, and, but they were talking a different language, and, um, and he says, no, he needs a special blessing. so then, and so here's the picture of my special blessing by the Holy Father at that church. And let me tell you something. That was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. And there was nothing watered down about that. It was sacred. It was holy. It was intimate. Because it just reminded me, once again, of my holy baptism. God, thank you so much for giving me another day. And thank you so much, once again, that I can be baptized in the faith of your love. Remember your baptism. And keep it Holy. So uh, once again, here's, here's my last little thought for today, and I, I love this, because I did a lot of, um, I, I don't have a chance to be able to talk all I, I really want to talk about today, but um, I think it's really important to remind us, and my last little part about, I, I did a lot of research on this particular text, and there's a couple of words that really stuck out, stood out for me, and, and the, one of the um, really kind of key words is the word declaration, um, and the second word has to do with submission. And so what I love about this is that the first thing I found out about this particular text in the Gospel of Matthew is that Matthew wants to, everybody realize that Jesus really is in control. Because um, it's like John the Baptist is really not the one that's in control of Jesus at baptism. That Jesus is the one in control. And and so what interesting is that if you listen to the dialogue between John the Baptist and, and Jesus, John the Baptist says, "Hey, listen, I'm unworthy. I, I, I can't, I can't do this." And then Jesus says, "No, it's, it's it's the it's it's to fulfill and and the key word is fulfill and the word righteous, and the word fulfill and righteous means it's good to be able to do this, and the word righteous means actually it's God's will." And so what's very powerful is that, once again, okay, the first thing is that John the Baptist is actually submissive and subordinate to Jesus. But then we also find this great theme in the scripture text, is that Jesus is really being submissive to God. This is what God wants for them. We find the word righteous. And what's very powerful, when you look at the whole story, the whole thing is left right rolled out, is that Jesus is being submissive to God and what God has called him to do in his holy baptism, but it's also connected that Jesus is being submissive because he's going all the way to the cross for him. There is a connection. Jesus being subordinate or submissive to almighty God. And I think it is just a powerful, what's a key theme that we find here. And what I also found this last week is once again, there's this, when you think about baptism, there's this idea about a new beginning. And where does that all come from? Well, if you go back to the very first text that we find in the God and the book of Genesis, we find these words that are really, really powerful. When you think about the importance of the I think about our holy baptism, and it says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the earth and the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. No wonder we have this image of that, you know, the heavens open up, we've got the voice of God speaking, and we have this idea, this feeling of this dove descending upon, the holy, uh, uh, upon Jesus. And once again, where is that whole theme about the dove hovering over the water? It goes back to the book of Genesis. The Spirit of God is connected to the holy dove. And so we have this beautiful image that once again, we have this, and I didn't realize this, but you think about your holy baptism, the baptism of Jesus Christ actually goes back to the very first text that we find at the very beginning of the Bible, in the beginning. By the word, the word, um, the word Genesis, we get the derivative of the word a genealogy and genealogy has everything to do with a birth or a new birth. I love that. And so when you think about there's once again, as I share with you all before, you know, we have the story in the old and the new testament, but the old New Testament and the Old Testament are always intimately and together. And we have this brand new beginning. And once again, we think about death and resurrection. I love that. Death and resurrection. Can you that with me? And death and resurrection. And we have been given a brand new beginning in Jesus Christ and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we do right out of the gate as we are accepting Jesus Christ is it has everything to do with our holy baptism. Or in the Methodist Church, my mother and father took me down to church one day and my grandfather baptized me. I think I was about three or four months old. And that was part of the beginning of my whole process of becoming a Christian. And that's the reason why I'm standing here before you today. Because I believe that God has given me a brand new beginning and it comes through Jesus Christ. So there's this great powerful image that once again, there's this declaration and I love the idea of the declaration is that God says, this is my son, the beloved with whom I'm well pleased. God declares Jesus his son and through our holy baptism, we are declared children of God. Can we amen on that? Yeah, so um, on the way out today, I I want you to think about this. Um, I think it's important for us to once again, remember our baptism and be thankful. Can we say that? Remember my baptism and be thankful. Can you say it with me? Remember my baptism and be thankful. So here I'm gonna give you five simple ways as we conclude today. Um, So when you get into the shower tonight, or you take a bath tonight, or maybe tomorrow morning, you know what, what a great opportunity to remind us, every time we take a bath, we remind you that we should be thankful for our baptism, letting the water wash over us. Second thing is, when's the last time you walked in the rain? I love what Ray Hinton, Ray Hinton was on death row for 30 something years and he stood right there and he told me, he says, you know, Harold, I, you know, after being cooped up in a cell for over 33 years, he said, or 35 years or something like that, he says, I love walking in the rain. So when's the last time when we walked in the rain and reminded of our baptism? Third thing is, does anybody, yeah, I don't realize this, but there's plenty of swimming pools around the villages. <laughs> so maybe the next time you take a dip in the water and you're just reminded of your baptism. And as I mentioned before, a brand new day. Why we wake up tomorrow morning and reminded, no, oh God, thank you so much for giving me another day, but Lord, thank you so much because I'm reminded I should be thankful for my baptism. And the last thing is kind of a tangible reminder. And I mentioned you all just a few minutes ago on the way out, there's several bowls out there and they're full of little pebbles. And I hope that you'll pick one of these up. And I'm hoping that you're reminded that once again, God's continued trying to polish you. He's trying to rub off some of the rough edges in you, that God's continued to work on you. This is what we call our sanctification process, that God ain't done with us yet. My mother's gonna correct me on my English on that, right? (laughs) God is not finished with us yet. So on the way out, I hope that you'll take one of these pebbles and I'm hoping that maybe you'll put it in your bath, maybe by your bathtub or your shower or your bathroom or somewhere that remind you every single day when you see that little pebble, that you are a baptized Christian and you're welcome to the family of God and you claim that. And my last thought for us today is this, if you have never been baptized, I would love to have that conversation with you. Please contact me this week. If something you feel like maybe God, have you heard this sermon today? Maybe God's calling you to be baptized. Now listen, I don't do, re-bapt- I don't do re-baptisms. The reason why in the Methodist Church we don't do not do rebaptisms is because we don't believe that God messed up the first one. That's the reason why. I'm just telling you, that's our theology. God was there the first one. We don't have to redo it all because it didn't take, right? First one didn't take. We got to do it all over again. We got to rewind, redo it. No, it doesn't work that way in our theology and methods, but we do believe in reaffirmations and re-dedication. So if you want to do that, I'd be open to that as well. If you'd like to have a conversation with me, please email me or call me this week, and I'd love to have a conversation with you.